Does the upper limit in pleasure really exist? Or are we creating a glass ceiling to prevent too much pleasure, joy, and connection in our lives? If so, how can you get out of your head and back into flow? Join Lisa and Elise as they dive into making your brain an ally in creating a more fluid and joyful life. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of OMG Spot Podcast, Pillow Talk for the Soul. I am Lisa Wade, along with co-host Elise Shellman, and today we are going to explore the brain a little bit more and the intersection of what goes on in our mind and pleasure. Because sometimes our brain can be our best ally in pursuing what we most desire and our pleasure, and other times it can be one of our biggest adversaries. So today we're going to jump into that, that relationship we have with our own mind and our own pleasure, and hopefully come up with some ideas of how to make sure that our brain is more buddy and less bully. Hi, Elise. Hey, yes. Yeah, we've talked about this before in a few different episodes, and we've referenced our brain as being an asshole. Yep which is not the most loving, embracing thing that we can do. <laughs> and True. it's perspective, I think, that's being asked to shift because that in of itself, I think, creates limitations on pleasure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and the idea here that our brain, our mind is an incredible tool and it only is fueled by what we really give it to work with. And so there are moments when our brain, you know, from what we've called, you know, being an asshole or the bully brain or, or whatever, almost seeks, it's as if it's working along with ego to try to keep us safe, you know, to try to keep us from rejection, to try to keep us from, you know, anything that might come about from, from a fear that we perceive could be associated with too much pleasure or too much joy, or too much abundance, or too much goodness in our life. And does that upper limit really exist? Or are we creating something that's not really there? Ooh, that's a good (laughs) question. (laughs) Yeah, it, it only exists in our minds, right? Which is very real for us. But it doesn't have to be. We think about a glass ceiling in society, you know, that, that certain people, especially we've talked about this a lot with women climbing the corporate ladder, that there's this, this envisioned glass ceiling that exists that when we try to climb too high, we bump our head against it and just can't get past a certain place. It's not real, obviously. I mean, in society, it can sure as hell feel real. Um, but what we're talking about here with our own pleasure is very similar but we are the ones creating it. (laughs) We are the ones putting that glass ceiling or that upper limit there. And it's like, as we're moving toward it, it's been the experience, mine, and I'm sure others that we self-sabotage to keep ourselves from feeling too good or too much joy or too, you know, connected with our partner or too intimate or whatever. You know, in his book, The Big Leap, Gay Hendricks writes about this idea of, of the upper limit problem and the things that go along with it, the worry, the self-sabotage, the blame and criticism, you know, that kind of manifest themselves when we hit up against this totally made up 
self-imposed concept that many people aren't even aware of. You know, what's coming to mind is the question of how much are we taking responsibility and accountability for our own relationship with ourselves and our own relationship with pleasure? And how does that correlate to having a quote unquote upper limit problem or hitting up against a glass ceiling? Because I imagine the moment we hit up against a limitation or a barrier, the equivalent of that is like the extent that we're hitting up against that barrier is the extent to which we are not taking accountability for ourselves. Ooh. Yeah, right. either projecting or not taking accountability for the thoughts that are causing senses of unworthiness or lack of deserving or, you know, the thoughts that may create this fear that if, if I actually lean into my own pleasure, that somehow it's going to hurt my relationship with other people, that I'll be being either disloyal to a partner if I pursue self-pleasure or that my owning my own pleasure and joy and sensuality and all of that could somehow create a rift between me and a partner if a partner exists. So that whole idea of, of disloyalty or even abandonment. Um, hmm. <laughs> or the idea that if I get really good at this pleasure game, that it somehow creates a burden, you know, that it somehow creates this, this expectation for it to be a certain way all the time, you know, that we're, that we're putting expectations on it that just don't have to be there. Um, or even the idea of, becoming too powerful and shining too much by recognizing our own inherent sexual power and, and the power of pleasure in our lives. And that that feels kind of scary to step into that potential. Mm -hmm. mm. All of that sounded like way too much thinking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and not nearly enough feeling. Yeah. And I think that this is one of the, one of the challenges with pleasure and we've so talked about this before, but the idea of pleasure doesn't, doesn't exist in our heads, you know? Mm -hmm. It's in our body, it's in our feeling nature that we experience pleasure and all the ways we get up in our heads, you know, because this whole upper limit problem is, is a head thing, that's all it is. It's a head thought thing. And the more we're up in our heads, the more we are creating barriers or glass ceilings or whatever to how much pleasure we can actually experience, how much joy, how much juiciness and in life intimacy with our partner we can actually experience. And it's just not necessary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What I'm hearing is that there's a missing element of embodiment, mm -hmm. that there's not enough time being spent in the body. Right. And the number one way I experience for embodiment is simply moving the body. Like mm -hmm. there's not enough movement. Mm. And I imagine that having an active movement practice, notice I don't use the word exercise. <laughs> it doesn't have to be like a specific <laughs> exercise, but just dancing or walking, allowing yourself to be connected to your body is going to make it so much easier in those moments when there's a tendency to get stuck in your head. Yeah, yeah. 
And I think too, yes, yes. And certainly that would be true, you know, outside the bedroom, but inside the bedroom too, moving our attention because really energy follows attention. So if our attention is all up in our head while we're trying to experience pleasure, then obviously that's going to disconnect from pleasure. So the opportunity then to move our thoughts, to move our attention to what feels good in our body, like actually allowing our brains to go to our nipples, to our clit, to wherever, you know, whatever's feeling good at the moment, the tingles that are running through us, the energy that we feel rising in our body, wherever that good stuff, you know, wherever it feels, whatever it feels like, actually focusing there, which seems the whole point, <laughs> instead of focusing on the bully thoughts that might be going on in our brain. Because man, we can take ourselves out of the mood in a heartbeat with oh, one, thought, one thought, it's all it takes. And so I think part of the opportunity is the awareness to see or to, to be, you know, just become aware of that one thought or that string of thoughts and then intercept it, you know, intercept it, shift it. And either through nicer thoughts or through, you know, back to embodiment, like, okay, forget you. Let me, let me move back into my body for a minute. Um, because I don't think that in the midst of pleasure, self-pleasure with a partner, that that's really the time to unpack the crappy thought that's going on in our head. <laughs> Let's not do it right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think unpacking is powerful. Mm -hmm. And I think depending on the level of safety you feel with your partner can help determine if that's a good time or not. You know, I, I have no problem communicating. Like I am so in my head right now. Mm -hmm. Right. And just having that open communication with my partner in the bedroom so that you can work together to find that embodiment and intimacy. That's That's fantastic. And I had never actually thought about, see in my mind, okay. Unpacking right now is going to be a total buzzkill, you know, total, total mood killer. Have you found the opposite that actually having those conversations and allowing your partner to be a part of that, like unpacking, does it increase intimacy and actually allow pleasure or does it like stop what's going on then, but allow even more pleasure in the future? Both, <laughs> all of the above. Nice. Depends. Okay. Yeah, mm -hmm. it depends. And it comes down to like, what is your primary intention? If your primary intention is intimacy, we're not just looking for intimacy in the moment. We're looking for long-term intimacy mm. yeah. and being able to express where you are and what's happening for you is going to cultivate long-term intimacy, yeah. right? How we talked about last time, what makes for good sex? Well, it's not always about, well, we both orgasm. We orgasmed at the same time, right? Right. So if it ends up taking away from the act of sex, but enhancing intimacy, like to me, that's a win because it's about the long term. I love that. And that is such a great reframe right there. So you are practicing in this moment, you know, what the reframe looks like. And that's a beautiful reframe. You know, and I think that, that one of the things that, that you predicated all that on is the safety of being able to have the conversation and know that your partner would rather hear what's going on inside your head 
and not get pissed off that <sighs> don't ruin the moment, you know, um, but rather see it as it's not a ruining of the moment, but it's actually an opportunity for greater closeness mm -hmm. and we're coming together in a different way. I think that the concept of ruining the moment is a wet blanket in and of itself. Yeah. Because you're automatically putting yourself in a position where you're, you're blocking yourself. Oh, I don't want to ruin the moment. So I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to ask for what I need. I'm not going to share where I'm at. And then you're just like waiting for it to be over. Oof. That sounds awful. And I've been there. <laughs> I've done that. And it's so much better. Yeah. <laughs> so much better to just either shift it right no okay i know that this is just me in my head this isn't a real thing mm -hmm. or say you know i'm stuck in my head about this because it might be something small that could help shift it where your partner can support you in the process or it might be an opportunity to be like hey let's pause because this what's coming up right now is more important than getting off mm. and that's where depth and meaningful connection show themselves i think for that that intimacy that's beyond just the physical intimacy but the emotional and, and intellectual intimacy even allows itself to be a part of the process rather than completely and totally separate from it mm. i love that reframe thank you thank you're you. welcome that's good stuff. That's really good stuff. Yeah. And I think that circles back to allowing your brain to be an ally. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't need to shut up the brain necessarily. And I think that having a habit of doing so is probably a reflection of shutting up ourselves mm. and turning off ourselves, right? Because our brain is an extension of us. Right, right. And I think that the brain, kind of like a computer, you know, that, that the brain, the brain is, you know, a supercomputer basically, but the thoughts that run through it are kind of like the programming and that sometimes the programming gets a little buggy you know, and can work it at opposite odds, you know, or, or work at odds with what we're actually wanting to experience in our life or in our pleasure. And so then the opportunity to, to at least recognize that and to, to decide, do I want to reprogram? Do I want to run a different script? You know, do I want to run something else that maybe is more supportive of pleasure, that is more supportive of self-love, that is more supportive of intimacy with self and other rather than the old tire program that's been getting in the way? And so recognizing it you know number one what's what's the what's the benefit behind these thoughts that are running through my mind because we might realize that sometimes there really is very little benefit yeah we spoke last week when we talked about what is good sex mm -hmm. and you had done some research and the number one thing that came up for people was do i feel safe and mm -hmm. my opinion is that 99% of our thoughts, whether they're working towards what we want to create or working against it, come down to a sense of safety. Mm -hmm. 
that there's some place within us that doesn't feel safe. And those thoughts are a means of trying to keep us safe. Yeah. And that's not just physical safety, you know, which obviously that would be a concern, but especially emotional safety. And anytime we are moving toward a more intimate space, a more intimate state, that requires vulnerability. And the flip side of that vulnerability is this idea of safety. Just like it requires some level or degree of surrender. And the flip side of that surrender is trust. And, you know, then it becomes not just trust in partner, but also trust in self <laughs> and trust in what can this mean good things in my life and for my future rather than the opposite. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. And the safety could be simply running old stories, right? Back then in a past relationship, I wasn't safe without acknowledging either how the relationship is today or who you're in relationship with today. And being able to dive into that a little more, okay, I'm not feeling safe. What part of me isn't feeling safe? Oh, well, the part of me that wasn't seen and heard and received in a relationship 10 years ago. Right. And then that just requires a small shift, right? Just that reframing of the scenario and being able to sit, remind yourself, like I am safe in this moment. And sometimes it, it requires deeper, deeper work than that. And the, the whole idea, and, and you've spoken to this so beautifully in the past, but of the importance of presence when it comes to pleasure, that, that pleasure and presence really do go hand in hand. And by presence, it's, it's not just being aware, but literally being present in this time right now, <laughs> you know, this time, this space, my, my body is here, but allowing my mind to be along with my body in this time and this space with this person, rather than stuck in some past loop, or even in some future worry, but to where the mind and the body and the heart all get to be in the same place at the same time, working in unison, you know, toward whatever the intention is, whether it's greater intimacy or greater pleasure, whichever. Um, but having one disconnected from the other or in a different time and place <laughs> makes it really hard to feel safe and, and fully embody the pleasure right now. Mm. Yeah. And this is all assuming that you're in a healthy relationship present day. Yeah. Ooh. That's not a great assumption to be making. Yeah. So I think it's important to see your thoughts as feedback. Mm -hmm. Right. Like see it as feedback for where you are right now. And then you can tune in, where am I not feeling safe? And then determine if it is past stuff or present stuff. And then asking what you need most right now to be supported. And if I had to guess, that inspires a whole lot of upper limit challenge. I mean, just, just in the sense of, holy crap, if this isn't it, that means I need to get out. You know, if, if I'm feeling completely disconnected or completely at odds or whatever, while in what should be an intimate experience, but instead is maybe just a physical, totally disconnected experience, Am I willing to recognize that? And am I willing uh, to potentially take action on that? Mm -hmm. 
that starts scaring the shit out of people. I had to guess, you know, I was talking to a friend over the weekend who was sharing her story about her relationship that very much mirrored how mine and my husband's relationship used to be. Cause we were a hot fucking mess for years. We were not connecting in the bedroom. We could not figure out how to communicate without one of us being incredibly triggered. And it took a lot to get to the other side to where we are now mm-hmm. where we can talk about anything and everything and the triggers aren't there or if they are there we notice them so quickly and we come back and I've been trying to pinpoint like what was the thing mm. there's lots of things that we did but I think it comes down to asking yourself how much responsibility are you taking And that could be not enough responsibility for yourself. It could be too much responsibility for your partner because there were so many moments in my marriage where it was like, this isn't fucking working. Like we can't have these conversations. We're not getting anywhere. All this stuff's getting in the way. And it seemed like the best option was to leave. Mm -hmm. And I think as I, as we're having this conversation, I'm able to look at that. I'm realizing that I was taking far too much responsibility his stuff and not enough of my own and when that can be brought into balance you know when we can find that level of interdependence or even independence and moving ourselves out of codependence then we have a lot more clear vision of is this my shit getting in the way or is this relationship really not moving us forward Mm -hmm. And it sounds like that's something that to get to a positive place required both you and your husband to start taking appropriate amounts of responsibility for your own stuff and, and you know, the, the, the couple stuff as well. And it sounds like he was willing to do that. Eventually, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you were patient originally. Oh my God. <laughs> and then, but then it happened. Yeah. Yeah. But also when I was taking quote unquote responsibility for my stuff, there was still a lot that I wasn't seeing that even now I'm realizing that, oh, I was just as in my shit as I was saying he was thinking, well, I'm doing my work because I'm going to therapy when there was still like so much that I wasn't owning or taking responsibility for. It's and a lot to dissect. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. I never know how deep these are going to get. You know, <laughs> Our conversations just kind of have, a, have an amazing way of going there. And the fact that you all were, were willing and able to stick it out and, and do the work separately, together, both, you know, the, the, the mental work, the emotional work that has now had... Um, from what I hear, some pretty positive benefits in, in, on the physical side as well. <laughs> um, that, that speaks volumes. And to your commitment to each other and to the willingness on both sides to be engaged and to allow for that level of intimacy. And that's, from what I've seen, that's rare. It feels rare. And yeah, you know, so often the, the people I talk to, whether it's, it's clients or friends or, or whatever, often, you know, it's one side or the other 
but the ability to get both sides of a, of a partnership willing and able to actually move beyond, you know, this what's holding us back phase to allow for greater intimacy, to allow for greater vulnerability and to trust themselves and the other person that this can get better. And we're both committed to that. That's, that's really rare. And sometimes rare for good reason, you know? Um, but what, what I've, it, it just so often feels that it's one party and not both that are willing to, to look at their shit mm-hmm. and to actually acknowledge their shit, deal with their shit, you know, move beyond their shit and not just throw their shit at somebody else. So kudos to y'all. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I really think that the accountability piece is a big part of it though, mm-hmm. right? When we're not taking accountability or responsibility for ourselves, we're in victim mode. Right. So if we're taking 80% accountability, then 20% of us is sitting in victim. And that's going to be the space where those negative thoughts and those limitations have room to grow. But if we're also taking over responsibility. Yeah. The victim aspect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If we're taking over responsibility for our partner, then that doesn't give them space. And then we also, to whatever extent we're taking over responsibility, there's that much more space for those limitations to grow. And it tends to look more like resentment and blame and shame on the other person. All the toxic wounded stuff, as opposed to the divine stuff. Mm -hmm. Talked about like intimacy and, and increasing that sense of intimacy and the sacred nature of what can happen through our pleasure. It's really you know, along the lines of being more soul aligned and more, you know, the more divine or exalted energy aligned as opposed to the toxic or or wounded energy. And boy, that toxic and wounded energy can so often show up in our minds and the thoughts that we have, you know, and, and, and those thoughts of lack of safety and, um, or lack of worthiness, you know, it's safe with other, but also safe with ourselves. Do we feel a worthiness and deservingness of, all the good that could be within within our reach if we allow it, if we're willing to receive it, all sacral stuff, you know? Uh, Yes. hmm. Yeah, one way I think is actually the most powerful way to alchemize that is to receive it and not necessarily receiving it as truth, Mm-hmm. But rather than pushing it away, right? When we say, oh, we have such asshole thoughts or we have an asshole brain, what we're doing is pushing away that part of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And anytime we're pushing something away, we're fragmenting ourselves. And mm-hmm. so we're limiting how much space we have to receive. So rather than saying, oh, my brain's such an asshole and, and pushing away and trying to ignore it, mm-hmm. which is just going to create a limitation. How can we say, even though I'm thinking these thoughts, I love myself anyways, right? Even though my brain is trying to keep me safe, I love, like, of course I still love my brain. Like it's working for my benefit. It may be outdated Mm -hmm. and no longer needed, but it's working for my benefit. And it's up to me to upgrade the programming and pushing it away isn't going to give us the opportunity to upgrade the programming. 
Mm. So how can we love it anyways? How can we receive what's showing up as feedback so that we can alchemize it just by loving it? And then we have so much more space and openness to receive. That was just like a thought bomb on me. Thank you. <laughs> you know, um, the, yeah, to, to be aware and then not mad about it, to not judge, but rather to love on, not in a way that has to be accepting necessarily. You know, I, I don't want to necessarily bring you in. I still, I see you. Let me learn from you. And then how about we work together in a more positive way in the future, you know, turn that adversary to ally or maybe not even recognize it as an adversary but just oh well that thinking is outdated or that thinking is not in alignment with where I want to go anymore or that thinking maybe applies to the person I used to be but I'm a different person now so I see you and thanks for wanting to keep me safe but I love me and I got this and we can move forward together in a different way yeah hmm yeah. I used to try to have conversations with my fat cells like that. <laughs> okay, fat cells, listen up. <laughs> I appreciate you've been trying to keep me safe. I got this. How about how about we work together now so I can use you as energy instead of using you as a shield of protection against the whole rest of the outer world, you know? And hmm, if I could do that thinking with my fat cells, maybe I can do it with my thoughts too. Yes. Yeah, I think the key there is receiving all the feedback mm. right like it's a gift of communication mm -hmm. right like your fat cells are a gift of communication they're letting <laughs> you know what's up yep <laughs> on a physical level mental emotional and spiritual level mm -hmm. so our thoughts are the same right what are you what information do you have for me what wisdom do you have for me marianne williamson says that every act is either an act of love or a call for love, Ooh, yeah. which I completely adore. And if we're yeah. willing to use that perspective for our own thoughts, mm. if you know we're thinking, oh, I'm fat and ugly, what's a deep call for love? Yeah. That is simply feedback that there's a part of us that is not acknowledging everything that we are and everything that we have to offer. Mm-hmm. Well, and then to take it, you know, to another step and realize that it's a, it's a call for, for our love, that if we put that call in somebody else's hands or the expectation that somebody else answers that call or fills that need, that that can feel pretty unsafe too, mm -hmm. because then there is the concern of rejection. And what if I don't get what I need and all the, all the what ifs, but ultimately a call for self-love and are we willing to do that? which allows us to receive the external love at a, at a greater, you know, at a greater openness then as well. I love that. Can you say that again? I love that. I want to sink it into my brain. <laughs> Every act is an act of love or a call for love. And that really can apply to everything. Absolutely. Not just, pleasure, not just the thoughts in our head, but but every, everything, you know, I used to think in, in terms of you know, totally off topic, but, but when I'd have to deal with my dad, um, you know, he, 
anytime I, I found myself wanting to judge him for his decisions, for the way he lived, for the way he treated me, for a pit pick your thing, you know, but I had to start viewing every time I wanted to judge him, that became a trigger for more love. Let me just use that as an invitation to love him more. And um, not because I necessarily agreed with, or it was not my way of condoning things, but it was, it was almost like my path to sanity because judgment created like this sense of insanity in my own mind. You know, it was just like, it, it didn't feel good. It felt terrible. And maybe that's the same here too, you know, that, that those thoughts that are in our head that can get in the way of intimacy or pleasure are typically judgment oriented thoughts. Mm -hmm. There's some judgment inherent in that, or it wouldn't be in the way it wouldn't be the opposite, you know, potentially of, of pleasure. And so to use them as just an invitation to love more, mm. love self, love body, love the thoughts, love the partner, love the, love the whatever. Mm -hmm. I would say that the more that we can love what is, mm -hmm. just as it is, is the more that we're capable of receptivity, which is exactly how we experience pleasure, right? Like our limitations on pleasure are completely reliant upon receptivity to the world around us, mm -hmm. receptivity to ourselves. That's all based on love mm -hmm. and willingness and ability to love ourselves and then be loved. Yeah. And it absolutely starts with ourselves because if we're not loving ourselves, it's going to be very difficult to see clearly in relationship mm -hmm. and to know if the relationship is one that's serving or not serving. So it's got to start with the inside job. And so often, potentially the feelings, you know, the, the physical sensations that we're feeling, the pit in the stomach, the, you know, tightness in the chest, the tightness in the throat, anything that's, that's symbolizing or an expression of contracted energy. There's likely a thought that's going along with that too. And we're likely better able for those, for those who are not in, you know, the energy world necessarily better able to recognize the thought itself. Maybe I, is that true? And maybe it's, it's a willingness to take it all together. You know, if I'm feeling con contracted in my body and also having thoughts that are contractive in nature, that's a huge clue. That's a huge clue that something is not quite right. And then do I love myself enough to go, okay, I see you. Now let me process this. And do I take action? Do I do something about it? Either have a conversation or make a major change, you know, whatever the case might be. Um, but even during times of pleasure, our mind and our body is communicating with us all the time both in, you know, about the good and the yummy and the amazing and the wonderful and the intimate, and also about all that is not that. Mm -hmm. And, hmm. and rather than saying, can I love myself enough? 
Mm -hmm. I'd rather say, can I love myself anyways? Anyway. Mm -hmm. Because I don't want loving ourselves enough to be tied to willingness to take particular action. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It needs to be independent on its own, you know, to, to stand on its own. But when we, and that said, Ooh, this gets into some pretty ooh, deep stuff because, because, you know, ultimately that whole self-loving aspect, do we allow it? Are we willing to make choices based on it? Are we willing to make choices and love ourselves regardless of our willingness to make choices, but to make choices that are, that al allow life to be and feel more loving for us. Yes. <laughs> How could I talk my way three times around the circle? Yes. No, it's uh, so valuable though, to really pause what we're saying and mm -hmm. sort out the language that we're using because language is powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And in my mind, I'm also thinking if I'm in a shitty situation, I do want to, I, and I love myself, then likely because I love myself, I don't necessarily want to stay in a shitty situation. And so allowing that, you know, that next aspect to be true, um, because it might be sometimes people, okay, well, I love myself. So let's just let the shitty situation happen all around me, but I still love myself in it. That's a harder for me to grasp on too. Well, I imagine that you would like vibrate yourself out of that situation, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Like the, the energetic frequency would change if you're truly immersed in self-love. Hmm. Hmm. So then the resonance is different mm -hmm. and people in our lives. Boy, I've been there. Holy cow, have I been there. And that, you know, when you talk about upper limit type problems, yeah, you know, and have experienced firsthand that as, as I grew in my own self-love and, and really when I say that, as I grew in being less willing to beat myself up in my own brain is really where that, where that goes. Because a lot of the thoughts weren't safety oriented thoughts. They were just rude. I mean, just rude thoughts that weren't, weren't kind. They weren't based in compassion. They just weren't nice. And the more I became willing to not do that or unwilling to do that, maybe the more I grew, the more that relationship grew apart. And so, yeah, I have seen that firsthand. And I think that there are people who maybe know intuitively that that might be what happens the more they embrace themselves, the more they embrace, you know, the soul oriented nature, the more they work to allow the mind to align with, you know, the, the more soul side as opposed to all the time, the ego, you know, or, or safety side that they could just, yes, vibrate themselves straight out of a, straight out of a relationship and holy hell, what does that mean? You know, because then that sparks a whole bunch of other fears. 
whether it's money, whether it's, you know, family, whether it's connections, whether I pick your fear, you know, out of that, whew, but not a good reason to stay stuck. In my experience, <laughs> I'll just speak personally there. Yeah. Yeah. Because I've also found that um, the more we ignore it, it's it's almost like the idea that when the universe is trying to send us a signal, you know, the first time it might come like a feather or next like a brick or next it might be the Mack truck, you know, and I was getting, well, really, really close to Mack truck, you know, and if I just had paid attention and, and, and I did pay attention, but if I would have had the self-love and courage to make decisions prior, it wouldn't have necessarily maybe had to get so difficult to where it was um, because I love myself, I can no longer tolerate this period. Um, that, that, and that's a rough place to get to. Whew. Yeah. And big picture, you know, what I'm hearing as you talk about these things is that as we are able to shift our thoughts, and embody more self-love it's also going to shift circumstances mm -hmm. which means that there's going to be more thoughts mm -hmm. <laughs> that we also get to acknowledge and receive as feedback and alchemize and so it's this never-ending process that there's always going to be i don't know maybe they're not always <laughs> maybe before we die we get to just sit in mastery um there will continually be thoughts to alchemize and process because as circumstances change, we'll be able to see and experience more of ourselves that we didn't see or experience before. Mm -hmm. Which is another way to say like, there's no avoiding this. And what I am realizing as you are saying all that in the relationship that I'm referring to, really great sex was an avoidance mechanism mm. because I could attach to the really great sex as opposed to having to look at all the other stuff that was misaligned. Holy crap. I just realized I did that. Mm. So I allowed the physical intimacy to replace what not even intimacy in other areas. Cause there were, the, you know, there was, there was intimacy in other areas I thought, but just the, 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 how life was looking, you know, I mean the, the, the very real 3d, this is how life is going representation of that relationship was a fucking dumpster fire. It was a dumpster fire, but the sex was good. The sex was good. So it was like, I ignored, an awful lot of the dumpster fire or tried to fix it or took more responsibility than I should have for the whole dumpster fire. Oh, I can fix this. I can save it. And I wasn't able to save it. So then the guilt and the shame and the, you know, all the uh, blame that I couldn't fix everything. Wow. But the sex was good. So that was so, major over responsibility. Yeah. Relationship of two is completely up to you. <laughs> yep. And I'm also curious, have you since redefined great sex? I have. Okay. <laughs> I have. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, yes, yes. And, and that's the weird thing. And looking at it, you know, the intimacy aspects were 
were there, maybe not so much on the, on, you know, intellectual side, the, the heart intimacy was there, the physical intimacy was there, spiritual not, and you know, at all, if I'm looking at whole being. Um, so it was fragmented, certainly fragmented. Um, but to allow what happened in the bedroom to be completely disconnected from all of the rest of life, you know, that was super fragmented too. And, you know, so I hear what we're saying in terms of being present and whatever's happening with pleasure or whatever's happening in the bedroom, let it be its thing. But you're not going to like be all into the moment in the bedroom if the house is on fire around you. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah. Ah, wow, I did that. Holy shit. So it may have been appropriate to unpack that before having sex. <laughs> you think? You think, you know, it wasn't for like yeah. trying necessarily there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's one of those areas where both parties being willing to unpack, you know, unpacking is not a one sided job. And, and so cue back over responsibility, right? And it's for many of us, especially when the other person is taking no responsibility and, and just an unwillingness to even look much less unpack, then it, of course we try to take on more responsibility or an un, undue share of responsibility when the other person just simply won't, just won't, won't look at, won't. Um, but that speaks volumes, that, that speaks volumes right there, wow. Yeah. But the sex was good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All the more reason why it's important to know how we are personally defining good sex. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine the answer is a reflection on how receptive you are to relationship, um, but also feedback for where your relationship may be. Mm -hmm. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. Because if it is that the O, you know, or the actual outcome of a sexual encounter is what good sex is all about, that is pretty damn limited and pretty disconnected from intimacy. Absolutely. And totally okay if that's what you want to choose. Yeah. Yeah. But knowing me, that, you know, that, that was never it. That was never it. But I allow, ooh, wow, oh, conditional, like conditional shifting of what is good sex. Holy shit. <laughs> okay, this whole idea of, of holistic intimacy no longer works in my current relationship. So let me just shift my desire for that. Let me just decide that, well, that doesn't really matter so much to me anymore. Or just maybe sex in general doesn't matter to me so much anymore, which I've also done. What a bunch of bullshit about totally like abandoning my own desires, abandoning what's actually important to me, abandoning the way I look at intimacy and what makes me feel connected, you know, on all levels in a relationship. <laughs> way, to, way to abandon myself. Wow. And not to beat myself up for it, but to just go, holy shit, I don't want to do that again. Mm hmm yeah. Well, and that's what you needed in that moment to feel safe. And that's perfectly okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Until I found the courage to do something different.
which is what I ultimately needed to feel safe. But sometimes that takes baby steps mm -hmm. and incremental, you know, incremental growth toward that outcome. Yeah. But ultimately then it's just a matter of making space for something better. And as long as the intimacy space is being filled by something that's not satisfying, you know, then it's, it's difficult for that same space to be filled by something that is satisfying. And are we willing to, are we willing to make choices that allow for the satisfying, you know, fulfillment <laughs> in intimacy or pleasure or whatever else. And sometimes that just means clearing it out, clearing it out. Yeah. And I want to point out that we both had outside support to make these big shifts. Yeah. Yeah. That I don't yeah. want anyone to ever feel like they have to figure this out on their own. We don't have the resources on our own, right? Like life does not give us these resources and these skills. So. And past history, you know, when we're, when our thoughts and so much of what we're basing the way we look at intimacy on is rooted in a past history that possibly does have, you know, toxic or wounded components, it's very difficult to make empowered, empowered choices out of that without someone or an outside resource helping us to, to see, to become aware, to recognize. And sometimes we actually do need validation that, okay, I'm thinking this and someone else being able to say, yeah, and that seems reasonable. Um, I would like to think that outside val validation isn't always necessary. That seems kind of codependent in some ways, but it might be exactly the thing that can help us commit to showing up a little differently in a way that is more self-loving. And it's not even necessarily outside validation as much as education. Mm. Yeah, nice point. Nice point. Yeah. I'd love to end today with just by identifying some language mm. that we can kind of notice if we say that it's a good indicator that we're creating limitation for ourselves. Mm. Um, I think I can't is a big one. So replacing I can't with I've yet to discover or I've yet to learn mm. is a big one. I used to say to my husband, I can't be me with you. There was a, a belief that in order for me to be all of myself, our relationship would shatter, mm -hmm. which the irony is the relationship required me to be all of myself in order for it to work. Um, and so I can't be me with you is in a sense like giving away responsibility, giving away accountability, right? So therefore it's his job to fix something so I can be me when really it's that I just hadn't yet figured out how to be all of me. Mm. Right? There was a part of me that didn't feel safe to be all of me within that current structure of our relationship. So that put the empowerment and a responsibility back on me to look at, well, what do I need? That's what, huge. What's missing so we can bridge those gaps versus being in that kind of blame energy of, I just can't be me with you. So I can't is a big one. I think shoulds, shoulds and mm. supposed tos are automatically um, indicators that your thinking is not aligned 
with your capacity or your potential. Mm. So, oh, I shouldn't say this. I don't want to kill the mood. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's huge. Good awarenesses, good awarenesses, and also good reframes. Mm-hmm. And I, and that really, I think, is what what this dance is all about. Just being aware, and then deciding, okay, can I learn anything from this? And am I ready to love this more? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you mm-hmm. think of any other language that's good? Um. I, what ifs to me, you know, anytime, well, but what if, <laughs> you know, that, that to me is, is one that's just a clear indication I'm in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I will often try to do with that is it could, because typically the what if is, you know, followed by some negative scenario and just turn that. Okay. But what if actually the opposite of that happened, you know, what, what if, um, I'm not, whatever is after the I'm not, mm-hmm. or I'm too, I'm not, or I'm too. Those are, you know, and sometimes it's a, it's a physical, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm just not in the mood. I mean, that can be accurate and true, but, you know, that I might just not be in the mood. That's pretty rare <laughs> for me, but I'm not in the mood or, you know, I'm too, I'm too bloated. I'm too blah, 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 you know, whatever negative insult to self might, might come in after that, but I'm not, and I'm too often are, are non-aligned or constrictive thinking for me, if it leads to, and therefore I don't want to, or therefore, you know, I don't feel worthy or therefore whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And really that helps us shift into more abundant language, mm-hmm. right? All around saying like, I'm not happy. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, how do we flip that? It really allows us to shift into desire, which is creation energy, right? Like, yeah. I'm saying what you want instead. I want X, Y, Z, right? Like, I want to feel good. Yeah. And that opens a path. It opens a doorway. And you can almost feel it energetically when you say it. Like if I say, I'm not happy, there's this like closing down and pulling back. Mm-hmm. It's like, I want to feel good. I want to feel vibrant. I want to feel alive. I want to, right? Moving into that space, there's a lot more openness to shift. Well, I could just feel that in the language, yeah. you know? Absolutely. What a great example. Really good. Mm. And so what would you replace I'm too with? I'm too bloated. I'd love to have sex in two hours when I'm not bloated. <laughs> like, <laughs> what would you say? Oh. Or even saying like, I'm not in the mood, which closes the door. How do we leave that open? Um, either communicating what would help you get in the mood. Mm-hmm. You know, for this is to have for this to take place, I'd really love for you to X, Y, Z, or I need space, or I need a minute, or mm-hmm. yeah, expressing needs mm-hmm. in lieu of being too whatever. Yeah, mm. yeah, that that's good. And you know, to to just be more specific on that, um, I know in the past that <laughs> if it was like hand from partner directly to crotch. And that was the first thing happening. 
I'm like, whoa, 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 I, I need kissed. I need you to kiss me, you know, <laughs> and even just to express that because that otherwise it, it, it just felt all physical and not, not intimate. And for me, there is a distinction between the physicality and the intimacy of, of sexual interaction. And so with kissing, I'm a girl who just likes to make out too. So, you know, but the kissing helped to, you know, just do that before you immediately go there. Mm -hmm. Please. And, and even in that moment, rather than saying, don't do that, mm -hmm. say, kiss me first. Yeah. Yeah. Or kiss me a little bit longer so that the door is still open. Absolutely. When you tune in, it's really easy to feel if the language is like heart opening or heart closing. Mm. And it goes back to expansive or constructive. And we've talked a lot about those energies and that, that with pleasure and desire and a, a, an interest in leading, you know, a, a juicier life or having more intimate relations, that that's a matter of expansion. And that expansion can feel vulnerable. It can push our, our limits, you know, those upper, upper limits. It can push that comfort zone limits. It can push all of that. But our willingness to actually allow, see where it goes, to receive, mm -hmm. to not block, to not get in the way, to not shut down with some of the language. Like, I don't, I can't, I'm not, I'm too, you know, all of that but to allow for language and energy and interaction that continues to foster and support expansion and deepening because expanding is not, you know, it, it that's deeper too, you know, whew. Good shit, man. Yeah. And you can feel it in your heart. I mean, you, I, I can, I can, I mean, just through this conversation, I'm feeling all of that in my heart and, and the difference that makes. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So our brain is not an asshole. It is a beautiful part of us that helps us to see where we are and offers feedback in the form of thoughts that we can use to help determine if they're serving us and getting us where we want to go or if it's old outdated programming that's ready to be updated. Yes. And new levels of intimacy require updated programming. That's just the bottom line. They really do. If we're going to have deeper, more intimate, more meaningful relationships with ourselves, our own pleasure, a partner, it requires us to update that programming too. And that's okay. It's part of the process, but it requires a willingness to be aware and to go there. Yes. Our pleasure is worth it. Our joy is worth it. Greater love is worth it. We're worth it. We are worth it. Absolutely. 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 <laughs> All right. Well, here's two more thought orgasms. Ooh, I like that. Thoughtgasms. Thoughtgasms. <laughs> All right. Until next time. Happy thoughtgasms. Thank you for listening to this episode of OMG Spot Podcast. Drop us a line. Let us know what you think or request topics you'd like us to explore. You can email us at omgspotpodcast at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook under OMG Spot Podcast. 
Go have an orgasmic and pleasure-filled day.